0: Straight talk from Israel.
1: You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.
0: Political Hitman. All right, so we're back. This is Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. Uh, You know, live radio is great and technology works. Amazing when it works, but sometimes technology fails us, and you know, we, we just go with it, live radio. What can we do? Uh, let me remind you, you can call in 301-768-4841 in North America, Israel 0265-00151. This is Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. I'm Howie Silberger. All right, so I, just before that little glitch, we I was telling you that you know history is very important. We have to understand history. We have to know history and in order to understand what's happening today, we have to understand what's happened in the past. So a very historic date has just passed us, and the so-called Jewish advocacy organizations, the so-called Israel advocacy organizations, and I say so-called because they tend to ignore these dates, they tend to only focus on, on oh, we love Israel because of falafel, and never we, we love Israel and we, we, Israel exists because Israel exists and this is why. Uh, You hardly ever hear about this, but we're going to talk about it today, because it's very important to talk about it. On November 29th, which was yesterday, 75 years ago, the United Nations voted to partition the British mandate of Palestine into two countries, one Jewish and one Arab, essentially launching the birth of the state of Israel. The decision to do so was made by the United Nations General Assembly as part of uh, Resolution 181 and sought to end the British mandate and transform it into two new sovereign states. But there was a glitch. There was a catch. And a catch not created by the United Nations, but a catch created by the Arabs. The decision was accepted by the Jews. They said, oh, we'll take it. We want a state. We We want our own sovereignty. We want to be able to rule ourselves. We're sick of being persecuted and prosecuted under other regimes. We'll take whatever we could get. So the decision was accepted by the Jews immediately. And the Jews, of course, were represented by the Jewish agency and and Zionist organizations. But it was rejected by the Arabs. The Arabs said, no way. We're not going to accept this partition. We're not going to accept a Jewish state and and an Arab state side by side. There's no way we could do that. We're not doing that. And, and we're so upset that the Jews accepted it and that the United Nations is giving the Jews a state that we're going to attack the state, we're going to crush the state, and we're going to take all the land. That was, that was the philosophy, that the Jews were just off a of Holocaust. They weren't strong. They had very few allies. And that the Arabs could come in and crush them with the Arab armies. So in, in, in the Israeli Declaration of Independence... They mark this date. And it's interesting that Zionist organizations around the world don't really do anything to commemorate this. The Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel says, On the 29th of November, 1947, the United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution calling for the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Israel. The General Assembly required the inhabitants of Eretz Israel to take such steps as were necessary on their part for the implementation of that resolution. This recognition by the United Nations of the rights of the Jewish people to establish their state is irrevocable. This right is the natural right of the Jewish people to be masters of their own fate, like all other nations in their own sovereign state. So the United Nations created the state of Israel officially. That that was the way countries that still is the way countries are created on November 29th, 1947. So anyone who claims that Israel is an illegitimate state is talking through their cheek. Now, the plan proposed partitioning mandatory Palestine at the end of the British mandate into two states, one Jewish, one Arab, with Jerusalem being controlled by an international regime. Internationally, the plan saw support from the United States, France, Canada, Liberia, Sweden and Norway. However, it also faced opposition from several other countries like India. Now, the plan was accepted by many Jews, but some with reluctance due to territorial concessions. They wanted all of Eretz Israel. They only took part of it, but they wanted all of it. But ultimately, many Jews, both in mandatory Palestine and abroad, were satisfied with the resolution. All right, we'll take what we could get. We'll create a state. We'll create a a Jewish country run by Jews, a sovereign state for the Jewish people. It's what we wanted. We'll take it. Now, Arab leaders right across the board widely rejected the plan. They announced that they would refuse to be bound by this decision, which they claimed was made under duress, and vocally expressed their opposition to what they declared was a violation of self-determination. Yep, yep. This barren wasteland, as Mark Twain called it when he visited, was now a, was now a violation of Arab, of Arab, of Arab self-determination. A, a piece of land that nobody was living in, it was, it was scarcely populated, was a violation of Arab self-determination. Ultimately, the resolution was not carried out and Arab countries attacked Israel. As we know, this, this led to 1948 War of Independence, which saw Israel crush the Arab armies and achieve independent statehood. However, we have to remember that the date is still enshrined as an important part of israel's history there's a street named november 29th street in jerusalem and the partition plan is mentioned of course as i mentioned before in the declaration of independence now um in later years the date would also become known as the annual international day of solidarity with the palestinian people this is a united Nations organized event and they've been organizing it since 1978. Now, it was created as a result of the U.N. General Assembly Resolution 32-40b in 1977. The specific date was chosen in memory of the partition plan. Now, this day of solidarity is still recognized and observed by events typically held at the United Nations headquarters in New York and offices in Vienna, Nairobi, and Geneva, as well as other places. Many high-ranking U.N. officials, non-governmental organizations, and other public figures tend to make statements regarding Palestine and the ongoing Israel-Palestine conflict in special meetings at these events. Indeed, as noted by the UN's website, it's also the day when the UN General Assembly holds its annual debate about Palestine. See, they have an annual debate about Palestine. They've been doing it since 1977, which is quite interesting, since when they had the opportunity to create Palestine, the Arabs said no. It's not that the Jews pushed them out, as they like to say so today. This is how they like to sell it today. It's not that the Jews came and stole the land the United Nations gave the Jews part of the land and the Arabs part of the land, which, by the way, was in violation of international law to start with because the original Mandate of Palestine, done by the League of Nations, if you really want to go back in history, declared that the entire Mandate, the entire Mandate of Palestine, which included what is now Jordan, which included part of Syria, would become the Jewish state. The mandate was created. The British mandate was created. And if you read the mandate, hardly anyone ever bothers to read it. But if you read the mandate, you'll see that the mandate was created so that the British would facilitate as quickly as possible the creation of a Jewish state in the Middle East. That was the purpose of the mandate of Palestine. So not only was the mandate there to create the state. At the end of the League of Nations, when the United Nations was formed, they decided that they were going to create a Jewish state and an Arab state within the land that was originally put aside for the Jews, and the Arabs rejected it. And the Jews have been suffering ever since. I'm Howie Silberger. This is political hitman on israel news talk radio you can feel free to call in numbers to call 301-768-4841 in north america in israel 0265-00151 you could find those numbers on the top of the page at israelnewstalkradio.com Silberger, your political hitman here on Israel News Talk Radio. Feel free to join me in conversation. Love to talk to you. Never to call. North America, 301-768-4841. In Israel, 0265-00151. We're heard live on Wednesday morning, so if you're listening on Wednesday morning, feel free to call in. So we're just talking about uh, the partition plan, uh, which which is 75 years old now. Uh, As of yesterday, it turned 75. The UN declaration that, that created the partition plan, which eventually led to the creation of the state of Israel. The partition plan, which offered the Arabs a state of Palestine and offered the Jews a state of Israel, which the Jews gladly said yes to, and the Arabs said no way. We're not going to accept the Jewish state. We reject this fullheartedly, wholeheartedly. Throw the Jews into the sea. This, is, this was the, basically the attitude of the Arabs. Nothing has changed, by the way. Now many people, there's been, there's been millions of words written on why the Arabs rejected the partition plan, mostly political words saying, "Oh well, they felt that the Jews were encroaching on their land. They felt that the Jews were, were, didn't deserve the land. They felt that the Jews were just you know, trying to find a safe place. They could have gone to Uganda or to Ethiopia. Why the heck did they have to come to? Why the heck did they have to come to, uh, to, to, to the Middle East?" But the truth is, and we, we know the truth. How do we know the truth? Because the Arafat told us the truth. And he told us the truth many times, and he said it in many different languages, except for English. But he, but, but he told us the truth. And I've said this before, and I, I continue to say it, when our enemy tells us the truth, we have to listen to what our enemy says. But nobody ever quotes Yasser Arafat either. So Yasser Arafat said very clearly, and he said it, uh, he said it multiple times, all straight through, almost to the day he died. It was always the same story. He said that they couldn't accept a state, which is why all the agreements that Israel made with the PLO over the years fell through, which is why Yasser Arafat walked away when he was offered 98% of everything he asked for, including Jerusalem as a capital, and he walked away from the table. They couldn't accept it simply because there is a, a, a part in the Quran that says that If Islam ever controlled, if there was ever an Islamic caliphate in any part of land, in any land, anywhere, nobody else could ever control that land. That land is Islamic forever. And because the Ottoman Empire existed and included what is now the state of Israel, the land that is now the state of Israel, that was a Muslim caliphate. It was an Islamic caliphate. And because of that caliphate, that land is Islamic forever. It's Islamic holy land. And anybody who else who controls the land that's not Islamic, any regime that controls the land that's not Islamic, are infidels that must be destroyed. Arafat said it. He told the truth. But nobody ever quotes this. Nobody ever talks about this. And, and that's my, my issue with, uh, with, with the pro Israel groups that, that run around screaming, yeah, we, 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 we support Israel, is that they never use history. To teach about Israel, to teach about the history of Israel, to to, to say that you know, uh, my 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 theory's always been, and will continue to be, that anytime time anybody tells me that Israel's an illegitimate state as the starting argument in any in any argument in any debate in any conversation I'm having, it's already a non-starter. The conversation's over before it even starts. You can't change history. You can't change facts. So, if you want to talk to me about Israel, and this is the way everybody should be, but they're not. If you want to talk to me about Israel, we'll talk about facts. Now, we could interpret the facts differently. That's fine. We could have separate opinions on on how the facts affect um, current current day and how the how the facts of history affect us today. We could we could we could, be, we could disagree on that too. But let's talk about realism. Let's not talk about a fake narrative that there was a state of Palestine that existed for hundreds of years and that the Jews came in and, 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 and usurped the Palestinian people, threw them out of their homes and stole their land. That's not true. That's a fake story. A fake story that was made up by the PLO as a propaganda piece to try to sell the world that the Jews were the illegitimate occupiers of their land. It's not true. In fact, the Jews living in Israel are not illegitimate occupiers. Calling them occupiers, calling any part of Israel occupied territories is a propaganda term that was created by the PLO to delegitimize the state of Israel. The PLO, the Palestinian Authority, believe that all of Israel from the north to the south is occupied. Now, you you might say, Howie, you're crazy. They keep signing deals and they they keep agreeing that Israel exists and and that Israel... (laughs) Well, they never said Israel had the right to exist, but they, they agree that Israel exists, and they, they, they carved up maps, blah, blah, blah. And, and you could go on and tell me about all this. But the simple truth is that if you look at the lapel pins, if you look at the, the posters, if you look at anything, any of the propaganda pieces that the PA puts out or the PLO puts out, you will clearly see that when they show a depiction of Palestine and they say, this is Palestine, it is the entire country of Israel. From the north to the south, from the east to the west, from sea to shining sea, Palestine will be free. That's their motto. And until we realize, until we understand, until people even advocating for Israel understand that negotiating, talking to people who want your destruction, negotiating with them, is just a propaganda ploy for them to say, hey, we're willing to talk. Sure, we'll sit at the table there's never going to be a deal there's never going to be an agreement and terrorism unfortunately in israel will never stop until israel decides to stop it and i'm not saying israel's committing the terrorism israel has to decide to stop the terrorism until now israel has shown restraint because somehow we we israel has this 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 guilt syndrome this guilt syndrome that, that that tells them that defending themselves violently and defending themselves ultimately and, and taking care of the problem that lives within their country somehow is akin to Nazism. This is a guilt syndrome that, that that the Israeli government's had since since the beginning of the country. That they're afraid that the world's going to associate them pushing the Arabs out or them taking care of the terrorist problem in their country as the Nazis took care of the Jews and ethnic cleansing. It's not the case, but that's, that's the way that they, they envision the world seeing them taking care of the problem. So they've let the problem fester. The problem with leaving the problem fester is that people are dying. More and more people are dying. Every year, people are dying. Every week, every month, people are dying because animals are going and killing them. And I'm insulting animals by calling terrorists animals. They're going and killing people. Every day that the Israeli government decides that they are not taking care of the terrorist problem, more and more Jews are being attacked. I don't know if you saw that clip on the day of the 75th anniversary of the partition plan. Now, I don't know, I don't think they're related at all. But did you see this car that came out of this gas station and made a U turn and then ran over a woman? A car ramming? I know, I know, so 2012, but they're happening again. And we're going to continuously see attacks on Jews as long as this narrative is allowed to exist that the Jews are the occupiers. The truth is, when the Arabs rejected the state after the partition plan, all the land should have gone to the Jews because that's what it was originally bookmarked for. The truth is, And when the Arabs said no and the Jews said yes, they should have gotten everything. Because if it was the other way around, the Arabs would have gotten everything. But we didn't. The Jews didn't. And we took what we got. And then when we were attacked and we took more, we took more. It was the spoils of war. International law says that the spoils of war belongs to the winners. So anyone yelling that Israel are occupiers, that Israel's occupied land have no idea what they're talking about. They're talking through their cheek. They have no idea what they're talking about. But here we are. Jews dying of terrorism. Jews being killed for the simple, for the simple crime of being a Jew in a Jewish land. The war of 1948. The war of independence. That was a defensive war. Israel didn't attack anyone. Israel declared their independence in accordance with the resolution from the United Nations. The United Nations said, hey, we're giving you this land. Israel said, great, we're taking it. Here's our declaration of independence. Then they were attacked. If you gain land in a defensive war you get to keep that land that has been international law forever but it only applies to everyone else it never applies to Israel and it never applies to Israel because North Americans in the world buy into the propaganda that is sold by the Arabs they are very good at the propaganda game they have a lot of money to spend on propagandists and they've sold this story, which is a false narrative. But you see, the argument of false narrative hasn't been really made in the last twenty years. It's quite it's quite scary, if you ask me. When when I talk to young Jews, and they tell me that Israel, you know, the occupied territory, they talk about the occupied territories or the Green Line. It's very scary, because Jews don't understand. These young Jews don't understand that Israel, Israel's Jewish, all of it. Now I, I, I could I could tell you why they believe in this, why they believe there's occupied territories, why they believe that that the green line means something, why this 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 false narrative continues even amongst Jews that support Israel. I'll tell you about that when we come back from the break. I'm Howie Silvergarden, this is Political Hitman. Feel free to call in. The numbers are at the top of the page. At Israel News Talk Radio, take a little break. We'll be right back. Political Hypnosis. Howie Silviger, your political hitman, here on Israel News Talk Radio. Feel free to join me in conversation on Wednesday morning. Call in 301-768-4841 in North America, 0265-00151 in Israel. Numbers are on the top of the page at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. So in 2013, I got invited by a high school, a North American high school, to write a, uh, a course, to write and teach, a course on Israel advocacy. The idea was that students were going to university campuses when they graduated high school, and uh, they had to be able to know how to defend the country. They, they needed the facts. They needed to be able to stand up on a university campus when the Arabs were rioting or the Arabs were, were were spreading some kind of mistruth about Israel, and they had to know how to respond to it. They had to know how to debate about Israel. This was the goal of the course. And I was told to think outside the box and create this course, um, thinking outside the box, and and, and and, and, and really giving them an experience of knowing what it's going to be like on a university campus. And I said, great, right up my alley, something I could do, no problem. I wrote the course. Uh, I wrote the course, and, and we focused a lot on, on, on Arab propaganda. We focused a lot on, on the mistruths or the, the altered truths that Arabs use when they talk about the history of the region. We, we focused a lot on how to project yourself uh your voice not not yourself your voice how to project your voice over everybody else's voice if it's if it's, a, if it's in the middle of a a, a large argument in in a, in in the lobby of a university how to uh how to defend israel like what is important to defend what don't you really care about and so on and so on this was the course okay and i started teaching it and it was going well we recreated the atmosphere of uh, of of a very busy and and and, and crazy Uh, Arab display in the classroom and the kids had to argue with each other. Uh, It went well. Everyone enjoyed it. It was a great course. Until one day the person in charge of the curriculum of the school, so the person in charge of making sure curriculum was being taught properly, walked into the class and decided to sit through a class. And she sat down and and it was a class where I was showing uh, a video of a Holocaust survivor who was extremely anti-Israel. And, and it was about a seven-minute clip or eight-minute clip of this Holocaust survivor comparing the Israelis to Nazis. And I asked the class, why do you think a Holocaust survivor would compare the Israelis to Nazis? This man lived through Buchenwald. Why would he compare the Israelis to Nazis? And the kids were throwing out ideas that you know, maybe it's because of the treatment of the Arabs, maybe because, uh, because of other things. There, there were four or five different ideas being thrown out. And... and and finally, at the end of the discussion, the class discussion, and they, they looked at me and they said, well, why did he speak out against Israel that harshly? And it was pretty harsh. And I looked at them and I said, well, he didn't. And then I played them the original, the original file, the original version of, the, of this Holocaust survivor speaking. And the creative editing used by the Arabs to show a Holocaust survivor who was anti-Israel was just mind-blowing for for the kids for everybody watching it was just mind-blowing for everybody watching except for this academic dean who was sitting there watching she looked awfully confused she left uh, just after i showed the original video she watched the original video and she got up and she walked out of the class and as she was leaving she said to me meet me in my office after your class is over it's a great Class ended. I went to her office and I sat down. And she looked at me. She said, "What was that? I didn't understand a thing you did in that class." So I, I said, "What well, didn't you understand?" I showed them in the doctored video. Then I showed them a, a, the original video. I showed them how you could doctor a video. I could cut up any audio clip to make you say anything you want. If I have enough footage of you, if I have enough uh, audio of you, I could pretty much cut your voice to to say what anything you want, and 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 you wouldn't even be able to tell that I that I edited you. That, that was the point. The point was that we're showing that news does this and, uh, and propaganda does this, how propaganda is made. She said, I don't think I like your course, the woman said to me. And I said, oh, okay. She said, I, I don't think you're going to be here long. And sure enough, they replaced me. They, they removed me from the course, the course that I wrote, the course they hired me to write and to be out of the box with. They removed me from the course and they replaced me with a man who worked for the United Jewish Federation. And he was their Israel advocacy guy at the United Jewish Federation, and at Hillel, which is the uh, which is the campus organization, uh, international campus organization for Jews, across uh, across North America, across the world, maybe. So he replaced me. A man named Jeff. Great. Hey, Jeff. Good luck to you. A couple of weeks later, I get a call at home. I wasn't working at the school anymore, so I get a call at home from one of my former students who looked me up in the phone book or online or wherever, found my number and called me and said to me, I, I, I don't understand what this guy's teaching us. Maybe you could explain it to me. And I said, please, explain. tell me what he, tell me he was teaching you. Maybe I could help you. I, I like the kids in the class, and if they're calling me for help, I'm going to try to help them as much as I could, of course. Why would I not? I wasn't their teacher anymore, but I'm still a human being. The boy said to me, well, Howie, he taught us today, he, his statement today, his, his, his thesis of the class today, was that there is no oxymoron in believing that Israel has the right to exist in the land they're in and that Palestine has the right to exist in the exact same land. It's okay to believe both things simultaneously. He said, I don't understand how that works. And I had to think about it for a second. It's okay to say that the state of Israel belongs where they are, and it's okay to say that the state of Palestine belongs exactly where the state of Israel is. And that's okay. There's no conflict between that. I said, how did he continue this? Because I can't imagine that, uh, that 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 he was advocating putting stilts up and building another country on top of a country. I can't imagine he's advocating uh, calling the country Palestine-Israel or Israel-Palestine and, and having the Jews and the Arabs share the same country. That's not realistic either. So what was he trying to sell you here? What was this story? And and he looked at me and he said, well, he looked at me through the phone. He looked at me and he said to me, I am, I don't know. Great. And if that's what they're teaching, it's just confusing to me. And I said to the kid, I'm just confused by this. And the kid said, well, me too. I I just, I don't know. So coincidentally, a couple of days later, I ran into Jeff. And I said to Jeff, I don't understand what you were teaching. Could could you just explain it to me? I'm just curious. Now, he thought I was attacking him because I lost my job and he took my job. So he thought I was attacking him. I really wasn't. I was honestly curious about about how you could have a a Jewish state in, in the land that is now Israel And an Arab state in the land that is now Israel. I I just didn't understand the concept on how you could superimpose one state over another and have two different governments running two different people on the same land. It didn't make sense to me. So I was was just wondering how 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 that worked. And he said to me, don't mock me. This is the way United Jewish Federations teach Israel advocacy. And if you don't like it, well, too bad. You see... You are not teaching this course anymore. I am teaching this course. And I will teach it the way United Jewish Federations tell me to teach it. Oh, okay. So it doesn't have to make sense. So we get to confuse young minds. Young Jewish minds who are, who are trained and, and, and they're raised to accept Israel and to, and, to, and to be pro-Israel and to love Israel. In fact, they're raised to, to believe that Israel is Judaism and Judaism is Israel. And now we're going to confuse them by saying that Israel is not that important and that Israel could just be brushed aside because we... we, we And there's no oxymoron in, in accepting Israel as a state and Palestine as a state at the same time. It makes no sense. But this is what we're te- teaching kids. This is what we're teaching high school kids. And if we're teaching them that and they're confused in high school, they get to university and the Arab propagandists get a hold of them. That's why we have so many Jews running anti-Israel, Propaganda places. That's why so many Jews are, are are in the forefront of the anti-Israel movement, of the BDS movement. Because we're giving them mixed messages when they're kids. We're saying love Israel but hate Israel. Accept Israel as, as the Jewish state in the Jewish land, but accept the fact that Israel is occupying somebody else's land. All at the same time. Now, as an adult, you could see it. As ridiculous. You could look at it as totally insane. What an insane thing to say. What a crazy concept to try to teach. But as an impressionable young person coming out of high school, going into a university campus which is hotbed of pro-Arab propaganda, you have just created a Jew who won't necessarily defend Israel but might act against it. Millions of dollars are put into this program a year, and they teach it right across North America. It's the exact same program. And you wonder why North American Jews are in the forefront of anti-Israel propaganda and anti-Israel advocacy. It's no secret. We're teaching them to hate Israel. And we're doing it in the classrooms of our Jewish day schools. Sounds scary to you. It was scary to me. When I heard this, I was furious. The school that they, the, the school that they were teaching us in was a Zionistic school. and I went to the Zionistic Jewish, Jewish um, director of Jewish uh, programming of the school, and I said to him, "What are you doing?" He said, "It's out of my hands." he said to me, "I have no say in the matter." That was in 2013. It is now 2022, it's nearly 10 years later, they're still teaching the same thing in that school. That's 10 classes of students who learned continuously that it's okay to say that Israel belongs in that land, at the same time it's okay to say that Palestine belongs in that land. That's 10 generations, 10, 10, 10 different grades of students who came out of that school, and forget about the are hundreds of schools that teach the exact same thing, but 10, 10 classes that came out of that school confused as to legitimacy of the state of Israel. They didn't teach them that 75 years ago yesterday, the declaration of uh, the, the, the partition plan was passed by the United Nations. That wasn't taught. They didn't teach them about the Israeli Declaration of Independence and what's special about the Declaration of Independence. That wasn't taught. They didn't teach them about the war of independence, that it was a defensive war, or the Yom Kippur War, or any other war that Israel was in. They taught them that we have to be accepting, that we have to understand that, that Arabs and Jews have to live together. Kumbaya, we have to put our arms around each other and sing around a campfire didn't teach them that that a Jew walking down the street could be stabbed, shot, run down by a car, blown up. Not at all. Not even a little bit. They were taught that Jews live in peace and harmony. And that to defend Israel isn't to say that Israel's legitimate, isn't to point to the Declaration of Independence, isn't the point to the UN partition plan, isn't to point to the San Reno conference, isn't the point to the League of Nations, isn't to point to the mandate of Palestine to defend Israel. The best way to defend Israel is to talk about current innovations in Israel. I invited a consul general to come and speak, one of the Israeli consul generals. He's now ambassador to come and speak to my class in this uh, in, in high school before they fired me. And, and he, he called me up and he said to me, Howie, I'll come and speak for you. you uh, for you, I'll do anything. I was on good. I was very friendly with him. I said for you, I'll do anything, but I'm not going to talk politics and I'm not going to talk about terrorism. I said, but that's what you have to talk about. We have to talk about how these kids are going to defend Israel on campus, how important it is for them to be pro-Israel on campus. And he said, no, I refuse to talk about that. I want to talk about how cherry tomatoes were created in Israel. What? You're the consul general. You're the, you're the ambassador. You're the, you're the guy who represents Israel in this town. And you want to talk about cherry tomatoes? And he said, yes, I want to talk about cherry tomatoes. I want to talk about inventions that happened in Israel, innovation." scientific innovation inventions things that israelis did let's look at the good part of israel and forget about everything else i said it's great if we could do that that's such a great concept let's look at the innovations let's look at how great israel has been unfortunately there are no arab propagandists on campus or anywhere else that are claiming that israelis did not create the cherry tomato What they are claiming is that Israel has no legitimate right to exist, that the Jews are occupiers, they're infidels, and they must be killed. I don't care about cherry tomatoes, to be honest. Cherry tomatoes are irrelevant to me. Defending and saving Jews is the relevance. That's it. That's all we should be talking about. I don't care about agriculture. I don't care about that. I care about saving Jews. And the only way we could save Jews is to change the narrative, to take over the narrative, to create and, and, and maintain our own narrative, to insist that we don't accept the narrative of our enemies. Our enemies aren't writing our stories. We're the victors. We're the winners. The winners write history. But not in this case. In this case, the losers, are writing history. History. His story. Who is his? The winner. Israel won all the wars they are in. Israel's the winner. They're the strongest country. They're the biggest country. The highest uh, huge GDP. They've created a country that nobody ever dreamed would have been created by Jews who had just come out of the ovens of Auschwitz. You want to talk about cherry tomatoes? Scandalous. You want to let our enemies write our story for us? We're going to stand back and let our enemies, the people who lost the war to us, write their history? And we're going to allow them to sell their version of this history to the whole world? By doing that, and we've been doing that for a while already, then we're just being suicidal. It's a great way to kill a country. It's a great way to kill the morale of a country. Yet we sit back and we're quiet about it. We know, nobody, nobody screams about it. Nobody cares about it. Nobody says any words about it. Nobody, nobody talks about it. We just allow this false narrative written by our enemies, written by the losers, to permeate right across the world. We don't call out the newspapers. We don't call out the, the, the TV stations and the radio stations that keep selling this false narrative. We just allow it to happen. La-di-da-di-da. Who cares what anybody thinks about us? Well, you know what? We shouldn't care too much about what other people think of us. But we should care about what our legacy is. We should care about our people. We should care about the fact that people are being killed on the streets of Israel. I mean, it happens. Israel's generally safe. We spoke about it last week. But people get killed on the streets of Israel. We should care about the truth. We should care about God's miracle, the creation of the state of Israel, and care about how we depict God's name. We should care about ourselves. But it doesn't seem like we do. We allow this false narrative to continue. We allow us, we allow, we allow our enemies to continue telling our story. I've been yelling about this for, for for almost 30 years. And it always seems like I'm yelling into the air that nobody's listening to me. And I'm kind of used to nobody listening to me. That's That's fine. That's fine. I mean, you hear what I say, but... But but nobody takes action. Apathy is crazy. And and it's another problem that we face. And it's it's a big problem. The apathy problem. It's a massive problem. And apathy comes with wealth. The richer you get, the more apathetic you get, the more comfortable you get, the more apathetic you get question was a question was asked to me not long ago they asked me why is it that it seems like the 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 israeli Mossad and the the israeli defense force seem a lot uh, less exciting today as they than they were at the beginning of the state of israel and the answer is fairly simple the fight for survival the 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 quest the thirst to, to live and to continue living and to continue existing, the existential threat of the destruction of the State of Israel has largely subsided. It's largely been, been minimized with the success of Israel in various wars, with the support of other countries in supplying uh, uh, munitions to Israel, with the support of Israelis' a war machine building music- munitions themselves. And the stronger you get and the richer you get the more comfortable you get and the more apathetic you get. If you don't have that hunger for survival then you get a lot weaker. We have to understand that as strong as Israel is and as strong as we feel that we are we still have to be there to defend her to defend the truth to defend God. Because if we don't, nobody else will. I'm Howie Silberger. This is Political Hitman here on Israel News Talk Radio. I am heard every week, every single week. I'm on, right here on Wednesday mornings. Every single week here on New Israel News Talk Radio. And uh, it's a live show, which means that you could feel free to call in at any time. And, uh, and I, I love talking to you. So calling in is a great idea. And, uh, you know, it makes the talk show a lot better and a lot more fun when I, when I get to talk to you. So feel free to uh, call me at any show at any time. And I'd love to talk to you. And uh, if you want to email me, if you want to contact me for any reason, you could always email me. Howie at Israel News Talk dot com. That's Howie at Israel News Talk dot com. Uh, if you don't remember that, it's quite easy. But if you don't remember that, that's fine. You can find my email address on the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com website. Until next week, I bid you a, a great week. And, uh, and please, please, if you have the opportunity, if you have the will, get out there and do something positive.